0: If you remain standing, we're going to read some scripture. This is from Acts chapter 9 and uh, 36 through 43. You can follow along as I uh, read uh, what Dr. Luke records. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda... They sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. And Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the outer other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Let's uh, let's pray together as we uh, continue our worship uh, this morning. Lord, I thank you for another day. Uh, thank you for the health to... Um, wake up this morning uh, to get out of bed uh, and to enjoy another day as a gift from you. And I thank you for the privilege we have to uh, worship you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just uh, speak to us this morning as we uh, worship you by studying your word and by responding to your word. Lord, may we uh, be like Samuel who says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. May our lives be changed because we've been here today. Lord, we pray for uh, many in our church family that have needs. Lord, the list is long and many, and Lord, we thank you that we can uh, uh, pray for them and remember them. Lord, thank you that in a world that is in turmoil this morning, especially in the Middle East, Lord, that we can trust that you are a God who is in control, that we can trust the Prince of Peace Lord, that we can have the peace of God even in the midst of turmoil. Thank you that we we know that you have a, a plan for the end of human history, and you are working out that plan, and we can trust you. And so we thank you that we can do that. Lord, we pray your blessing now on this uh, next few minutes together in your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we're studying the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 9 is where we're at. Last Sunday, we looked at uh, Saul's conversion, uh, one of the most dramatic uh, passages in all the Bible of how Saul came to faith in Christ, and it came through a dramatic encounter, a vision that he had with Christ on the road to Damascus while he was on his way to what persecute Christians. And he was willing to travel as far as Damascus, which was about 140 miles uh, north of where he was at, to track down Christians, to take them out of their houses and put him into prison, and while he was almost in Damascus, uh, we know the story. He has this vision of Christ, and uh, Saul's life is uh, totally transformed and changed. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at the last section part of Acts chapter 9, and uh, it's entitled, Do You Believe in Miracles? Do You Believe in Miracles? If you've been around for a while, you uh, you might remember, well, some of you won't because you weren't born yet, but some of you might remember the 1980s uh, Winter Olympics. I think they were held in Lake Placid, New York, and uh, there was a hockey match between the American hockey team, which was made up of college players. Uh, against the Russian team and the Russian national team was basically made up of uh, what would, we would consider professionals. They were much older. They had played together for years and years together and uh, the United States team uh, led by a coach by the name of Herb Brooks who happened to be a coach at the University of Minnesota. Uh, he was their head coach. Uh, later on he tragically died in a car accident He had a bunch of college kids, a goalie by name of, uh, Jim Craig, Mike Rizzoni, all these young college kids, and they were a huge underdog, the Americans were. And somehow during that game, the Americans were able to score a couple of goals, and they got ahead of the Russians, and probably the greatest upset in sports history happened in that hockey game in 1980, and Al Michaels was the announcer. And he is known for his famous line, as the clock ticked down and it became apparent that the American team was going to upset the mighty Russian team that no one expected them to even come close to in the game. And he asked this question, do you believe in miracles? And then he yells out, yes. And the buzzer sounded and the American team celebrated. Well, our question this morning for you and out of our text is, do you believe in miracles? And to believe the Bible and, and God's Word is to say, yes, we believe that God does miracles. He did many of them in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we read uh, Psalm 77, verse 14. The psalmist writes, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. And, of course, we come to the Gospel of John, and Jesus, what, performs seven miracles. And those seven miracles were what? To prove that he, he was the Son of God. We also discover from the gospel that Jesus gave his apostles, what, the authority to perform miracles. Uh, As he sends them out in Luke chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, Dr. Luke writes these words, uh, that he sends out the 12 and he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. So the apostles had the ability to heal people. And the reason God did that is because he wanted to authenticate them as as God's messengers and gave them God's power and God's authority. Perhaps the more pertinent question for us this morning is, does God still perform miracles? Uh, Does God perform? We know he did in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Is God still performing miracles today? And I think the answer is yes, that God still can and does perform miracles and actually A person coming to faith in Christ is uh, a miracle of God's work in their life. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a text that records um, two miracles from two relatively unknown people in in the Bible. Uh, They lived in two different towns, and uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, performs uh, two separate miracles. So uh, let's look at it, beginning in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to pick it up in verse 32. And... uh, you also, I think in your bulletin, have a map that might give you a little a context here geographically of what we're talking, where we're going with our sermon this morning. So we're going to talk about, and I have no idea how to pronounce this, this name here that's in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to call him Aeneas, is I think how it could be pronounced. So let's go with that. And we're introduced to this person by the name of Aeneas. And so we're going to talk about Aeneas' deliverance. Uh, and here it is in verse 32, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There you, you see it on the map about uh, maybe uh, 15 miles inward from the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And now we're introduced to this individual. There he found a man, Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years, sometimes we read scripture and we just kind of zoom over things. I want you to think about this morning. Put yourself in Aeneas's shoes. He's paralyzed. He has not walked for eight years. He's been in he's been bedridden. Um over the years I've had uh privilege to visit many people that have health problems, and I'm remembering a couple of folks. One uh lady uh, that was a sister of one of our church members in Chelsea, uh, her name was Ada, and uh, Ada probably for the last three years of her life could not get out of bed. And I remember regularly visiting her and, you know, thinking about, you know, the last time that I visited her, which was maybe six months ago, and thinking, you know, she's never left this room, she's never left this, this bed since the last time I was there. Um, I think of the Bateman family, um, DeVern and Sylvia that attended here for a number of years. They're both uh, with the Lord now, but uh, DeVern probably spent the last uh, couple of years of his life uh, bedridden. And uh, so here's this individual. He's not been able to to walk, not been able to get out of bed. And that's why when we get up in the morning, by God's grace, uh, some of the first words on our mouth and in our mind should be, Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you that I can get up, get up out of bed. So here's this man has been paralyzed for eight years. And uh, verse 34, Peter comes and visits him, and he says four powerful words. Look at it in verse 34. Aeneas, Peter said to him, here's the words, Jesus Christ heals you. <laughs> Jesus Christ heals you. And then he gives him a command. He says to him, Get up and roll up your mat. And it says, Immediately, Aeneas got up. And so here we read about this, this miracle that Peter performs. And the miracle power was not in Peter. The miracle power came from, what, the authority of, of God to, to give to Peter to perform that miracle and now this man, who has not walked in eight years, uh, is able to get up out of bed, and he's walking around. And how did God use that? Well, God used that miracle to bring many people to faith in Christ. Look at the next verse. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, a nearby town, saw him. And what was their response? They turned to Christ. They, they turned to the Lord because of the powerful example of the miracle that Peter worked through the power of Jesus Christ in his life. And so here's uh, Peter, and he performs this miracle of this man, and he's able to get up and walk. And now we go to uh, this next part of the text here, a second town, a second individual, and a second miracle. And we're introduced to a a lady by the name of Tabitha, which is uh, her Jewish name, Her Greek name is Dorcas. I would not want to go through junior high with a name Dorcas. So we'll go with, we'll go with Tabitha this morning. I think that, that might be, might be better. So we're introduced to Tabitha and uh, this is entitled Tabitha, the Disciple, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, what's interesting when you read that Tabitha is called a disciple here in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 36, it's interesting that that is in uh, the only time in the New Testament where we have the feminine form of the name disciple. She's the only woman in the New Testament there, there were many women disciples, and women were certainly a key part in Jesus' ministry, but this is the only woman in the New Testament who specifically is called a disciple of the Lord. And so uh, we read um, about this disciple by the name of uh, Tabitha. The Greek word is Mathatria. It's the only time it's used here in, in the New Testament. And it says that she lives in Joppa. Now, why would Joppa kind of maybe, uh, sound familiar to us? Well, two reasons if you know your Old Testament. One reason is when they were building the temple, and you can see Joppa on the map there, it's a coastal town, uh, right by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so when they needed materials for the temple, to build the temple, uh, they, they would come to this port city, Joppa, and then they would transfer the materials from Joppa to uh, Jerusalem to build the temple. And so uh, King Solomon asked the, uh, Hiram, the, the king of Tyre, for uh, cedar logs, and they shipped them on the Mediterranean Sea, came to the port in Joppa, and then they were transferred to Jerusalem. But maybe we're more familiar with Joppa because if you remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah had the call of God in his life to go to Nineveh, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and so he goes the other way, and where does he go? He goes to Joppa, and he finds a ship going to Tarshish, and he gets on that ship, and he goes as far as he can from where God called him in his life, and of course, we know the how that story ended up. So uh, this is the same town, and this is where Tabitha lives, and notice the description of Tabitha in uh, our text here, last part of verse 36, she was always doing good and helping the poor. So Dr. Luke, in, in just giving a, a, a phrase that describes the life of Tabitha, is she was always looking for good deeds to do, and she was specifically uh, trying to help the poor. As we read later on in the text, she specifically had a ministry to widows, And she was a seamstress, and if we know anything about uh, the New Testament, that most vulnerable people in that first century would have been widows because there was no safety support system, perhaps like we have today, like Social Security or some other uh, ways that widows can be supported. And so uh, the church took care of widows. And here's Tabitha who is a, a busy seamstress and she's helping the widows and she's, she's making clothes for them and encouraging them. And it says that she was always doing good and helping the poor. Now let's be very clear in Scripture. We are not saved by good works. The Bible is very, very clear about that. There's so many passages that says we're saved by uh, grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. Good works do not save us. But here's the flip side of the coin, and this is all through Scripture. We are saved to do good works. In other words, once we come to, to faith in Christ, God has a, a, an assignment and a job for us to do, and part of that is looking to do what? Good works. Matthew 5, 16, the words of Jesus to his disciples, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, The book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity, do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Do good to all, but especially to what your own your own family of believers. Don't grow weary in doing good. Um, Ephesians chapter two, verse verse ten. Uh, that familiar passage: We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. Titus two fourteen. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is good. And so we're not saved by good works. But why doesn't God just take us straight to heaven when we come to faith in Christ? It's because he's got a job for us to do, a calling in our life, and part of that is to look to do good, to be involved in doing good works for the glory of God. And so here's Tabitha. uh, And Dr. Luke describes the character of Tabitha as always doing what is good. So if Tabitha was a part of our church family, and I'm just speculating here, I think Tabitha would be doing this. I think Tabitha would be signing up to bring uh, cookies to our fellowship time. I think she'd be the first to sign up Uh, on the list to take a meal to someone in need. I think she would contribute to the benevolent fund that we have that benevolent fund offering six times a year. I think she would be praying for and visiting widows. I think she would be involved in Operation Christmas Child. I think she would be supporting orphans through Compassion International. She would be looking for every opportunity she could do to do good works. And that's why the Bible calls Tabitha a disciple. But then something happened to Tabitha, and we, we read it in our, in our text in verse 37, uh, and we read about Tabitha's death, and Tabitha gets sick, and Tabitha dies, and Dr. Luke says about that time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room, and so Tabitha passes away, Tabitha dies. She leaves a huge hole in the lives of individuals, especially in the lives of that group of widows that she was uh, so busy caring for and making clothes for. Tabitha dies. As we progress through the rest of the storyline here, we get to the last part of this chapter, and I've entitled it Peter's Daring Prayer. Or maybe we could say Peter's Dangerous Prayer. And so let's pick up uh, the story here uh, in verse 38. We've already read this in our scripture reading. We discover that uh, Lydda was near Joppa. They were about 12 miles apart. That would have been in that day about a four-hour walk to get from Lydda to to Joppa. And so uh, the text says that, that when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. And so, uh, Tabitha dies. The disciples hear that Peter's in a nearby town, and he's been working miracles. And so, they decide, uh, let's send two men to Lydda and tell Peter to come as soon as you can. Come at once. I'm thinking in the, the timeline and the storyline of this text from the way the story reads, Tabitha's already died. Tabitha's dead. What, what are they expecting Peter to do? And the only thing I can think of is that these disciples had great faith. And these disciples were trying everything in their mind that they could think of to, to see perhaps a miracle done. And so it says that, verse 39, that Peter then goes with them. And he makes this trip to Joppa, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him. They were crying and showing him the robes and others, the clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now what does Peter do? What would you do? Well, Peter does four things. And... uh He sends, verse 40, he sends all the crying widows out of this upper room. Peter sent them all out of the room. Secondly, it says, Peter got down on his knees and prayed. Now, sometimes the scripture records prayers for us in in the text. I really wish Dr. Luke would have recorded Peter's prayer. It's not recorded for us. What in the world was Peter praying? I think Peter was asking God to do a big miracle. I I think Peter was, was thinking about a big, bold prayer request. Why do I say that? Because of what happens next. So Peter sends everybody out of the room. Peter gets down on his knees, and Peter is praying. And then it says, he turned toward the dead woman. And he said three words. Um... Peter's probably been with Jesus when Jesus raised some people from the dead. Did you know, Jesus interrupted every funeral he ever, at least in Scripture, that he, he, he had, was exposed to. Jesus interrupted everyone, and he brought the person back to life. There, there are three records of, of uh, people being raised from the dead by Jesus in, in the New Testament. One is Lazarus. you remember that story? John chapter 11 Lazarus has been dead for three days, and then Jesus shows up, and it says Jesus wept, and then he goes to the gravesite, and he says three words, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of that grave. There's a story in Mark chapter 5 of a man by the name of Jairus. His 12-year-old daughter uh, dies, and Jesus comes along, and he says these Aramaic words, Talutha kuma means little girl, get up. And she was raised from the dead. There's a third story in Luke chapter 7 of the only son of a widow. And he dies. And Jesus comes. And in Luke chapter 7, he says, young man, I say to you, get up. So maybe Peter was there. And maybe Peter witnessed these uh, firsthand. And so what does Peter do? He says these three words, Tabitha, get up. Verse 40. She opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa. And what happened? And many people believed in the Lord. And then the text closes, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner by the name of Simon. Wow, two powerful miracles. One, a man that had not walked for eight years, and Peter heals him in the name of Jesus. Uh, The second, a beloved woman by the name of Tabitha, and Peter raises her from the dead through the power of Jesus. Jesus. Well, let's look at some life lessons from, from these two miracles and these two stories. How does this relate to us in 2023? And uh, we'll look at four of them, and then we'll be done this morning. Here's the first one. first one is this. There's power in the name of Jesus. Uh, we need to be reminded of this, don't we? That, that there is power. Many songs about this. There is power in the name of, of Jesus. Uh, when Peter healed Aeneas, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Uh, we read in, in Matthew, uh, the Great Commission, all power and authority has been given to me. And so there is great power in the name of Jesus. It's not in Peter. It's, it's not in the individual. It is in uh, the name of Jesus. And all of creation is subject to that power. I remember Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm uh, came up, as they often did very suddenly in in uh, that part of Israel. And the disciples are in the boat, and uh, Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples think they're going to die, and they wake up Jesus, and they say, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And then he stands up, and he says three words, peace be still. And that storm quit immediately, because all of nature is subject to the authority and the power of Jesus. There's power in Jesus' name. That's why Peter says, there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. How are we saved? By someone calling out to what? The name of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And there is the power to change our hearts and transform our lives. Deliverance from the penalty of sin. Now there's there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We we were on on death row. We were headed to a Christless eternity, and now uh, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, and there's the power of the name of Jesus to deliver us not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Romans 6, don't let sin have control over you. You have the power through Jesus and the Spirit that lives within you to overcome sin and someday then we're going to experience uh, the deliverance from the penalty of sin. The power of Jesus, there's power in Jesus' name. Now, one of the names of God in the Bible is Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals. The God who heals. And there's a little bit of a mystery when it comes to um, uh, healing. Uh does God heal people today? The answer is yes. Does God always heal people today? The answer is no. And so there's a great, there's a great mystery to this and it's the, it's the sovereignty of God. It's Acts chapter 12 where James is in prison and Peter's in prison. The church is praying for them both. James is beheaded. Peter's released from prison. Well, why did Peter get his get-out-of-jail card and James died? Oh, that's, we don't know. That's that's God's sovereign plan and sovereign choice. And the same is true with healing. Um, my dad, a long time ago, wrote a little booklet, a pamphlet. And it'll be a pamphlet, and I've got several of these on the back table because I've got about a hundred of them. And he wrote this after my mom died of cancer at the age of 50 as a pastor's wife, and it's called Discoveries, Insights into Human Suffering. And he shares a couple things that he learned through that whole process of uh, watching um, my mom um, be taken home to heaven at the age of 50. And so let me just share just in summary three Three lessons here that he's, discoveries that he made. The first one, he says, I've discovered how to pray. And I'm just going to summarize this for you. He says, the first prayer is for deliverance. And when our loved one gets sick, what what do we want to pray? God, would you heal them? Would you deliver them? You can do it because you're the Almighty God. That's the first way that he, he prayed. But if God always doesn't choose to heal, then the second part of the prayer is acceptance. That's how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was facing his greatest crisis moment. If it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so you pray for deliverance, you pray for acceptance, and thirdly, you pray for glorification, that God would be glorified in this situation. A second discovery that he says he writes is, I've discovered that godliness does not guarantee immunity from suffering. You know, sometimes we think, well, well we're, we're a Christian, or in our family's case, uh, my mom's a pastor's wife, so certainly you wouldn't allow um, cancer to touch her at a young age. We learn that godliness does not make suffering uh, immune in our life. We learn that from the book of Job. Uh, just quickly, the last lesson that he shares is how important it is to be a part of the, the body of Christ. And there are a lot of reasons to be active and part of a church family. But, boy, when you go through uh, the trials of life, uh, you discover how valuable it is to be a part of the family of God. And in our case, um, I remember those days when um, the church that my dad was pastoring, that church family just uh, tremendously rallied around uh, my dad and my mom uh, even in the last few months of her life, um, there was a lot of nurses in the church, and they signed up for a rotation. They would come to our house and 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 take that night shift uh, so my dad could get some rest and uh, so um there is there is power in the name of Jesus, power to save, power to heal. does he always heal? No, does he heal sometimes? Yes. And so, uh, just remember, uh, that that power is found in Jesus' name. Here's the, here's the second one. Living in a fallen world means eventually everyone will die. Everyone will die. It's a result of the fall of Genesis chapter 2. It's not how God originally created the world, but when Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world, and as Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 5, and, and death came as well. In other words, a f- Physically, all of creation began to die, including mankind. And so Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die. We will have a funeral here tomorrow because death is a part of life. And I don't know if you've come to, to grips with your own mortality, but unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, all of us will die that's why the gospel is called the good news. 1 Corinthians fifteen three and 4, it's what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's the good news of the gospel and the resurrection chapter and the fact that if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, yes, we will lose a loved one, but we have hope because that's not the end. And there's hope of resurrection and reunion someday. Living in a fallen world means eventually we all must die, and so what? It's imperative to be prepared to make sure that our faith is in Christ and Christ alone because, uh, as James says, uh, we make plans, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we better hold those plans loosely and and, uh, be ready to uh, know that heaven is our home and that Jesus is our Savior. Thirdly, our third life lesson is this. Everyone leaves a legacy by how we live, how we invest our time, talent, and treasure. And so uh, all of us are, are building a legacy by the way that we live, by the way that we invest our lives, our time, talent, and treasure. And what was Tabitha's legacy? Well, her legacy was this. She's always doing good, and she's helping the poor. And when she died, there was a room full of crying people because she had impacted their lives so much. So the question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving and how will we be remembered? And are we building and investing just in our own kingdom? Are we invested in building God's kingdom? Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, puts it this way. Are we living for the dot? which is earth, which is however many years God gives us here, or are we living for the line, and the line goes out from that dot, and it's an infinite line, or are we investing our lives in eternity? And so Jesus says, what, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where, what, rust corrupts and thieves come in and steal, but what, invest our lives in God's kingdom and uh, we are all leaving a legacy, so uh, we need to give a thought thought to what kind of legacy do we want to leave and uh, um, make uh, some choices based on on that uh, question and that that answer. Here's the last life lesson, and it's this number four: we need to supersize our prayer lives. I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe 30, maybe 40, 35 years ago, I don't know who came up with the idea, but um, about 35 years ago, uh, fast food restaurants came up with this uh, option, and they began to ask you questions when you made your order, would you like to supersize that? <laughs> You, you want bigger fries, you want a bigger drink, do you want a bigger burger, and uh, most of us uh, took that hook, line, and sinker. Of course, we're Americans, bigger is better, so yeah, we want that supersized. And uh, uh, as we think about that, uh, what we need to think about is that God wants us to supersize our prayer lives. I'm getting that from from this text here in Acts chapter 9, and although Peter's prayer is not written out, I'm getting that from the, the faith of the disciples who had faith to, to call Peter nearby, who was nearby, and say, Come help us. And Peter's prayer, in Peter's prayer of a big, bold request, God, would you do something big here? Through your power, would you... Raise Tabitha from the dead. Now, when I think about my prayer life and um, big, bold prayer requests, uh, I'm gonna be the first to confess that um, I'll be the first to walk the aisle here and say, "Man, my prayer life needs to be supersized because it's so easy in prayer just to get into this routine and just uh, to kind of get generic in our prayers." Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, help us have a good day today. Uh Lord, uh bless the missionaries and uh bless my family in Jesus' name, amen. Nothing wrong with that. But I think God has a lot more for us. Sometimes our prayers don't get answered because our prayers are selfish, and James talks about that. Um, you know, you're you're asking selfishly. Uh, prayers that get answered are prayers that will what bring great honor and glory to to God. Sometimes uh, our prayers aren't answered because we don't we don't ask. James says, "You have not because you ask not." You haven't taken the time to ask the Creator of the universe, and so we uh, need. And speaking to myself, uh, you know, when we pray, we're we're praying to the omnipotent, all powerful God, Creator of the universe. We need to ask Him for big things. We need to ask big, bold prayers. It would be like meeting a—you're uh, you're in a fundraising position, and and you have a an appointment to meet with this man who is a a multi-multi millionaire. Um, uh, who's the who's the richest person? E- Eli? What's his last name? Musk. Eli Musk. And you have a meeting with Eli Musk, and you're raising funds for a good cause, and you come and you ask Eli Musk, um, could you donate a hundred dollars to our cause? And Eli Musk would be like, you are insulting me. <laughs> oh, and the same is true in our prayers. And so I don't know where you're at in your life, but we need to pray and we need to ask God boldly. We have not because we ask not. This last week we launched um, our WANA program on Wednesday nights, and Beyond Awana has been uh, a great great blessing, and God's used that in so many kids' lives, and now we're transitioning to Awana, and just have to tell you, you know, every, every year there, there, there's just a little bit of like, okay, God, are, you know, are, are we going to have kids? Are you going to bring us uh, some kids that we can minister to and love? And, and we know the importance of even one, but we'd like to impact kids for, for Christ and minister to them and encourage them. And so, uh, as we had our kickoff this last Wednesday, and I know Diane was praying for Awana. Some of you were praying for Awana, and as I was studying this earlier in the week, I started praying on Monday and Tuesday, like, "God, would you send us? Would you send us thirty thirty kids? Now, that might not sound like a lot, but but you know, first, would you send us thirty kids to our opening Awana night, God?" Uh, th- Maybe that doesn't sound like a big, bold request, but to, to me, like where we're at, Lord, would you send us 30 kids? So we had our kickoff, and we had a big inflatable out there, and Dennis Kernis did a great hayride for us. We had cider and donuts. And I uh, had some kids that enjoyed that evening, and so we're wrapping things up, and we're out in the pavilion, and a few of us are standing around talking. And... uh Danielle Reef miller says to our group of five or six, guess what? We had 30 kids at Awana tonight. Now, I normally would not have said anything, but all of a sudden when, when she said, not 29, not 31, we had 30. All of a sudden, I'm like, Lord, thank you that you're a God that hears and answers prayer and that you would be glorified. I never would have, I shared it with them. I wouldn't have said anything except when she said 30. I'm like, okay, I need to give God the glory for this. And so um, that's how we need to pray. So I don't know what situation you're facing, financial, health, relationship, Whatever it is, we have a God who wants to hear and answer our prayers. It won't be on our timetable, it'll be on His. It's not always a yes. It's not always uh, what we want, but God wants us to ask. And we need to get out of this generic praying that's kind of at the elementary level of prayer and graduate to asking our great God with a big bold requests and then watch what he will do in peter's case he healed a man that had been dead or a man that had been paralyzed for eight years and he raised someone from the dead and so let's uh let's pray together this morning lord we're thankful for your word thank you for these uh, great stories in the bible of your uh, healing power of your resurrection power. And Lord, I just pray this morning that as we uh, think about um, who you are and your great power and, Lord, what you want to do in our lives, that uh, you would um, help us to take some big, bold steps in our prayer life. And Lord, uh, help us to uh, put our trust in you and realize that you want to Accomplish great things in our lives for your glory. And so, Lord, we uh, pray that you would bring to mind even this morning, uh, situations where, uh, we need to ask and we need to pray and we need to, um, just come before you and ask for big, bold requests. Thank you that you're the same God, the same God that rose, uh, Tabitha from the dead, the same God that rose Jesus from the dead, that power is uh, available to us today. So we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.